Presbyterian. If I haven't met you, my name's Campbell, pastor here at Cornerstone, and today is our second last sermon on the, on the, on the book of Proverbs, and we'll be looking at a moment at uh, caring for the poor. And Valerie's got a quick announcement to make before we get going. There we are. For uh, International Night Market on the 19th of October, two weeks' time, Friday night, at Wales Spring Church, 6 o'clock. And that is for a fundraising uh, event for the ministry to uh, international students in university. And um, we would like everyone to participate and enjoy the food. Thank you. Uh, start at 6, six o'clock. Thank you. And uh, why don't we welcome Eleanor to church for the first time. Ele- Eleanor and uh, Robin and Bavin, it's great to see you down there. Uh, okay, please open up to the book of Proverbs. It's great to have Lauren here as well with uh, Abigail. It's Daniel, isn't it? Elijah. Elijah. Wrong, wrong prophet. Okay. And it's... Uh, <laughs> It's Elijah's first time to church, isn't it, as well? Well, let's, let's, let's welcome Elijah as well, so, yeah. Any other newborns that I've uh, overlooked? Okay. All right. Well, I, I started my little essay in the corner post this morning talking about the old butchers, and we all remember the old butchers, don't we? They always had some fingers missing and the big personalities, and remember the, the sawdust and the chopping blocks and, and so on. And I made mention of when they, when they weighed the meat, the classic old butcher would, would leave his thumb resting on the scale. And uh, I was talking to Trish about this during the week, and, and when I made mention of the old butchers who'd leave their thumb on the scale when they were weighing the, the meat, she said, oh, yes, and she laughed. And I said the same thing to John Jansen this morning, and he said, yes, I'm not sure if it's true, but he laughed at the idea as well. In fact, it's it's funny how we find it amusing that um, the old butchers would do that when they weighed your product, would add a little bit to the weight by adding their thumb to the scale. And uh, it is is strange that that, that we laugh at this. Uh, There is something comical about it, I suppose, But when we open up to the book of Proverbs, we see uh, again and again how the Lord really hates dishonest scales and measures and and hates that that kind of dishonesty. And I've got Proverbs 11 in front of me. Proverbs 11 verse 1 says that the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. And we might find it strange that the Bible is concerned with, with what, what might seem to be a trivial thing, the weighing of products in the marketplace. But the language that Solomon uses here is, is very strong language. Let me paraphrase it for you to bring out the, 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 the rich meaning of the Hebrew words. A treacherous or deceitful scale or balance is an abomination is detestable, is offensive to the Lord. And a safe, complete, peaceable, the word is shalem, weighing stone, 
is his desire and delight. The reason I paraphrase that is because I want us to get a sense of just how seriously God takes this business of fairness, justice, righteousness in the marketplace, in our dealings one with the other. Why is it that God feels so strongly about weighing things and getting it right when we weigh a product and sell a product? Why is it that God feels so strongly about it? Because we see it again and again in the Bible and very strong language is used. Why does God care about it so much? He cares about it because it's his nature. It's his nature to be fair. It's God's nature to be truthful, to be honest and just. If God ceased to be fair, honest and just, then he would not be God. It goes to the heart of who he is. And that's why again and again we see God urging his people to be fair and honest in all of their dealings. Proverbs 16 verse 11. Honest scales and balances are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are of his making. And there in Proverbs 16 verse 11, we see that fair scales, fairness, justice, honesty in our dealings, in our commercial dealings, in the way we handle money, comes from God and goes to the heart of who God is. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at four points from the book of Proverbs. We're going to see how, first of all, how God hates stealing. We're going to see how God especially hates stealing from the poor. We're going to see how God himself takes up the cause of the poor. And we're going to see that God blesses those who carefully bless the poor. So they are our four points this morning. Let me pray and we will get into God's word. Father, we sit in your presence this morning. Speak to us now. Convict us where necessary. Bring us to repentance and change. Glorify your son here as we listen to his word. Amen. So first of all, we see from God's word how God hates stealing. In 1963, 16 men robbed the Royal Mail train that was going from Glasgow to London and they beat the driver with an iron bar and stole the equivalent of $70 million. And this became known as what? The Great Train Robbery. Listen to the way we describe it. The Great Train Robbery. And two of the men, Buster Edwards and Ronnie Biggs, became somewhat celebrities in England. In fact, in, in 1988, they even made a film called Buster about one of the thieves, Buster Edwards, and Phil Collins played the leading role, and it was a comedy. So the great train robbery, where millions of dollars were stolen and the, right, the driver was beaten, has become something of a, a legendary tale, and the criminals themselves 
kind of folk heroes in England. My brother used to be a policeman and it used to frustrate him no end how people talked about Ned Kelly in Australia. How we looked at him as, as some kind of glamorous figure, a kind of folklore hero of Australian history. And my brother would, would say he was a murderer and a thief. And we, we so often glorify this man. And it is strange how human beings, how we have this tendency to glorify uh, stealing and this kind of highway robbery. But again, we see from God's word just how much he hates stealing, how he hates it when we take what belongs to others. In fact, when the tax collectors came to be baptised to John the Baptist, and they said to John, what should we do? What did John say to them? He said, don't collect any more money than you are required to. So the first thing he said to the tax collectors was, you've been stealing, you've been taking more from people than what you're supposed to be taking. Repent of that. Stop stealing. If you're going to be one of God's sons, then you can't keep stealing. You can only take what is right and fair. And the soldiers came to John the Baptist and they said, what should we do? And John said, don't extort money which is what the soldiers were known to do. They had their weapons and they could use their weapons to demand and extort money from people. And John said to the soldiers, if you're going to be one of God's sons, you've got to be content with your pay and stop stealing from people because God hates it. And James says in chapter 5, verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. This is how much God hates stealing, and stealing means not paying others what what we owe them. And James, the brother of our Lord, says that, that those who have not been paid properly, their cries reach the ears of God. God cares about this. God cares about fairness and justice. It goes to his very heart, his very nature. And God cares when we steal. It's no laughing matter to him. And the Apostle Paul shows us that stealing is not just about money. It's not just about taking money from what we might, uh, money from other people or withholding money that we might owe to another person. In Romans 13, he says... Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. And now he shifts gear. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. You hear what Paul's saying? Paul says that stealing is not just about money. It's about withholding whatever we should give to another person. If we should honour another person and we don't give them that honour, then that's, that's stealing. If we should respect another person, the Bible commands that children should respect and honour their parents. If you don't do that, you're robbing your parents. You're stealing. You're taking from them what God says that they must have. And God cares about this, this stealing and this robbery in whatever form it comes. The Westminster 
larger catechism has a brilliant commentary on the Ten Commandments. And I've put some of it in the corner post. But listen to what it says about the Eighth Commandment and listen to how it draws out all the implications of the Eighth Commandment, which is, of course, do not steal. The Westminster Larger Catechism says that the duties required in the Eighth Commandment are truth, faithfulness and justice in contracts and business, rendering to everyone his due, giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others, moderation of our judgments, wills and affections concerning worldly goods, a provident care and study to keep get, use, and use the things which are necessary and convenient to sustain us. Frugality, avoiding unnecessary lawsuits and going guarantor, and an endeavour by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others as well as our own. And so, what the larger catechism helps us to see is that the commandment to not steal has a very broad application and when God tells us not to steal, he's telling us to give to everyone what we ought to give them and to be generous, open-handed and fair with all. Proverbs 16 verse 8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And so I think we can see, and I've just given some little glimpses, we can see that, 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 that God hates stealing in whatever form it comes. But our second point today is that God especially hates it when we steal from the poor. There's an old saying, goes back centuries, the poor are a gold mine. The poor are a gold mine. What, what does that saying mean, the poor are a gold mine? It means that though poor people might not have much, there's usually lots of them and they are perhaps easier to manipulate or to steal from than others. And so a clever and wicked person can get an awful lot of money from the poor. It's interesting to me that when Sizzler opened its franchise in Perth. Do you know about Sizzler? Okay, it's, 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 the fast, it's the buffet. You know, you pay money and it's all you can eat, all the awful food you can eat. <laughs> and you pay quite a bit of money for it. It's very interesting to me that when they set up their stores in Perth, they were in all the poorer suburbs. And Sizzler's not cheap, but they set it up in the poor suburbs and I, I think the mindset was, well, here are people that they don't have much, their lives are, are probably hard, here's a little luxury, and here's a way to get money. And cash converters targets the poor. Uh, internet scams target the poor. The pokies are not put in the rich suburbs of Hobart, they're in the poor suburbs, right? And in Perth recently, uh, my parents have a TV, and I was shocked at the number of ads there are for betting agencies now. This is something I hadn't seen even a few years ago. Ad after ad for mobile betting. And this is targeted to the poor. 
because the poor are a gold mine. And unscrupulous, clever people have always seen the poor as an easy way to get rich. But in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, we read that he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Listen to that carefully. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt not just for the poor, but for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. In other words, to oppress the poor is in some way to oppress God. Why is that? How is that? It's because the poor bear his image. The poor, just as much as the rich, bear the image of God and to oppress or hurt them in any way is to attack the God who made them, the God whose image they bear. And let's not forget that God the Son gave up the riches of heaven and made himself poor and in fact lived with the poor and identified with the poor. Luke tells us that when Joseph and Mary came to make the sacrifice that was always given for the firstborn son of any family, remember in the Old Testament that when the firstborn son came along, a lamb was to be sacrificed for that son. Except if you were too poor to buy a lamb, you could sacrifice two doves or pigeons instead. And that's the sacrifice that Joseph and Mary made because they were poor. They couldn't afford a lamb. Jesus was born into a poor family in a despised part of Israel. And we read, Luke tells us, in fact, that Jesus was reliant on charity for his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 8, verse 3, we read that Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's, Herod's household, Susanna and many other women were helping to support Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. Jesus didn't have a pocket full of money. He was supported by the love and charity of those around him. It's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? The God of the universe and all the riches of the universe in his hands, yet he made himself poor and identified with the poor. And he didn't even have a home. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, said Jesus. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For your sakes Jesus became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so Jesus completely identified himself with the poor. And he identifies himself so much with poor Christians that he says in the parable of the sheep and the goats that when we do not give food to the hungry or water to the thirsty, when we don't look after the alien, when we don't clothe the naked, visit the sick, visit those who are imprisoned, Jesus said, when we don't do that for the poor, and particularly 
the Christian poor, we are not doing it for him he sent. He completely identifies himself with the Christian poor of the world. So much so that when we give to our poor brothers and sisters, Jesus said, you're actually giving to me. And when you close your fists and your hearts to your poor brothers and sisters, you're closing your hearts to me, Jesus said. That's how closely he identifies with the poor. Do we understand this? Do we understand just how much God hates the exploitation of the poor and how much God hates when we close our eyes to the plight of the poor? And that's why Proverbs teaches us that God himself will take up the cause of the poor. Proverbs 23 verse 10 says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. Now, you, you understand what's going on here, don't you? So the, the boundary stone marks the, the perimeter of someone's property. And so uh, there's the house of a poor person and the boundary stone's here. And in the middle of the night... I get up and quietly kick the boundary stone a couple of feet that way, what am I doing? I'm stealing. I'm stealing that person's territory, their their land. I'm adding to my land and stealing from their land. And, And Proverbs says, don't move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. There's a special concern here for the fatherless, for the orphan for those who cannot protect themselves because they are the easiest people to exploit. But it goes on to say, don't do this. Why? Here's the reason. Listen to why you should not exploit the poor. Because their defender is strong and he will take up their case against you. God himself will take up their case, says the book of Proverbs. This is how much God cares about this. If you kick the boundary stone of a poor person and exploit them, take their property, steal from them, you will have God to contend with, says the book of Proverbs. And God will not just go up against those who exploit the poor. Proverbs also says that he will go up against those who shut their eyes to the plight of the poor. Now, we must understand the difference here. It might seem, it's obvious, isn't it, that, that it's wrong to steal from the poor. That's obvious. But Proverbs says that God is equally concerned when we turn a blind eye to their plight. Or when we harden our heart to their plight. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 13. In fact, please open Proverbs 21, 13, because we need to be very clear in our minds that this is our Father speaking to us. Proverbs 21, verse 13. 
Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. And now go over to Proverbs 28, verse 27. Proverbs 28, verse 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Because it's obvious to us that we shouldn't take from the poor, but God equally condemns not helping. It's the, this is the sin of omission, isn't it? God hates the sin of commission, of stealing from the poor, but he, he just as much hates the sin of omission, of not helping those who need help. And Proverbs 28 says that those who close their eyes to the poor will receive many curses. And God's curse is the opposite to God's blessing. His curse brings light, life, joy and peace. And his curse brings devastation, darkness, death and suffering. It's a very serious matter for God. And it's urgent that I and that we all ask ourselves, are we doing this? Are we shutting our ears to the cry of the poor? Are we closing our eyes to them? It's a serious matter. Our fourth point and final point is that God will bless those who carefully bless the poor. Turn with me now to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. And Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, yeah, let's turn to it. Let's, let's look at it together. Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And James, again, says, chapter 1, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. That the, that the church is singing is wonderful. That the preacher is charismatic. That we have a, a Bible reading plan where we read six chapters a day. where we attend every prayer meeting on every day. Now, prayer and Bible reading is vital, but James doesn't say that, does he? 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And read the book of Amos. And the people were singing and happy and making their their sacrifices to God. God was appalled because all the time they weren't caring for the poor and the needy, the orphans and the widows. And so yet again, Proverbs comes and it it wrestles with our heart, doesn't it? This, This is what I've discovered about the book of Proverbs. It is wrestling with our hearts. And it's asking the question of us, do we have God's heart for the poor? Do we see Jesus' face in the faces of our poor brothers and sisters? Do we see that to ignore them is to ignore him? And that to bless them is to bless him? Are we ready? Every Christian will ask this question, am I ready to stand in front of the Son of God, seated on his glorious throne, surrounded by the angels, when he will separate the sheep from the goats, on what grounds? On whether we have cared for our poor brothers and sisters. That's the grounds on which Jesus will will separate the sheep from the goats. And and some of us might might, might read the parable of the sheep and the goats and we might think, isn't Jesus forgetting Reformed theology at this moment? Isn't he forgetting the Reformation? Doesn't doesn't Jesus realise that we're saved by faith? That righteousness comes by faith, not by works? Won't Jesus be be wanting to hear our profession of faith? Isn't that how he's going to separate the, the sheep from the goats? that the the sheep will have the the right profession of of faith and the goats won't. Isn't that how Jesus should should separate us at the final judgment? How do we answer that? Those who have put their faith in Christ will be seen by their good works. That's the evidence of faith. Those who are justified by faith will be seen because they are merciful to the poor, because they've not shut their eyes to the poor or blocked their ears to the poor. Many on the last day, Jesus said, will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. You've got the profession of faith, but it's an empty faith. It's a heartless faith. It's not, a, it's not faith at all. This is the way true faith is seen in a person. Jesus says, not me, Jesus, by their generosity and their heart, their concern for the poor. We say we believe in Jesus, but if we turn a blind eye to our poor brothers and sisters, then Jesus is saying, you might believe in me, but you're turning a blind eye to me. You're hardening your heart towards me. And that shows that your faith is not a true faith. It's not a saving faith. So are we ready? Are we ready to face Jesus on his glorious throne, surrounded with his angels, when that day of separation comes? Let me finish 
with one or two passages from the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3. Listen to this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And even if we don't have much, we can still help our poor brothers and sisters because the Macedonian church, dirt poor, they had nothing. They were a charitable case themselves by any measure. And Paul says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. That's what a Christian does. The overflowing joy of knowing Christ, of being saved, being forgiven, being justified, being adopted, it overflows into rich generosity, Paul says. It comes from the heart, brothers and sisters, doesn't it? And those who know they are saved and those who know that Jesus made himself poor for them will not turn a blind eye to their poor brothers and sisters. And that's why I've, just as a little tiny step forward, that's why I've put in the corner post today a couple of needs from Barnabas Aid, Christians in Indonesia right now and in other parts of the world. And we can know about the needs of our brothers and sisters. It's easy for us to find out about their needs. It's easy to give. And I've just tried to help us a little way by providing that information in today's bulletin. And so I finish with these words from our Lord Jesus Christ. And these words are for anyone here this morning. In fact, let, let, let's now come to our Lord in prayer so if we close our eyes and bow our heads. And our Lord Jesus says to me and to you, to those who want to do things differently, to those who are convicted by God's word, to those who want to repent of, of greed, our Lord Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted when no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And so before our musicians come up, let's take one or two minutes, a time of private confession and repentance, and then our music team will come up and, and lead us in praise. <laughs>